We're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning, so turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. And we are going to continue our series of the seven signs that John gives to us in his gospel. And so I just want to remind us of what that series is um, kind of the driving uh, idea behind this series is found in John chapter 20. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it for you, and I'll refer to it again later. But John chapter 20, at the end of the chapter, uh, John says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so this series is about um, showing you the signs or preaching the signs that we might believe. Now, this is the second sign that John records for us. But as we just heard, this isn't the only sign. So it's the second sign that John records. But John's not saying there wasn't a multitude of signs that Jesus was giving to the disciples. These are just two that I'm cherry-picking, if you will, because I want you to see who Jesus is and who he claims to be so that you would believe, and by believing, you'll have life in his name. And so we're in the passage of uh, John chapter 4, and beginning in verse 43, I'm going to read down through this passage and then um, make some comments here, and we'll begin our message. So John 4, 43 After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee, he went and asked him, he, excuse me, he went to him and asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and his household. This now was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judah to Galilee. So we're speaking, there's two threads here that we see that are going through, uh, or ideas uh, that are going through the gospel of John. And one we see is that idea of belief or believing. There's a thread that goes through here. And in, in our, our passage particularly, he's talking about believing. But then there's a second thread that goes through the book of John, and that second thread, and when you look at, I should say, when you look at believing, it's, over, it's mentioned over a hundred times in the book of John, 
And almost every single time that it's mentioned, it has something to do with salvation, has something to do salvifically. But then the second um, thread that goes through or thought that goes through the book of John, and in particular our passage, is the word sign, uh, that word simeon. And sign has the idea or is the definition of sign is to signify, to point something out, to indicate, to make known. In other words, a sign is something full of meaning. It's a sign, a sign is full of meaning. It's not an end in itself, but it points people beyond itself, right? That's what we, uh, I think uh, Brian said this last week when he was talking about what a sign is, is that a sign points to something. It's not an end in itself. When I'm on the highway and I see a rest area sign, I don't pull over to the sign, right? I know that there's something coming up. There's something beyond that that I need to go to, that I'm looking for, that I ought to be looking for, or else I'm going to miss it, right? So I know there's something else, and that's what a sign does. It teaches a spiritual truth, and specifically here, pointing them to God, right? So these signs that John is talking about aren't rest area signs. These are signs that come from God that point to God. So we shouldn't be surprised that when people see these signs, those who, are, who God has given eyes to see, exercise faith, right? They, they, there's some kind of faith coming out. And here we see first there's, there's a, this limited faith that he's believing that Jesus can work this sign, this miracle. And then we're going to see eventually that he's going to be able to, he's going to have this saving faith. Eventually it's going to lead him to this saving faith. So... Um, without, without um, if a sign doesn't have meaning or purpose behind it, it's, it's really meaningless. And, and so to illustrate this, many, how, how many of you know where Crops is or have ever seen Crops up the road here? Okay, it's a grocery store up here at the top of the hill. Now, if you uh, go, if you're heading up the hill, you don't go to the first exit to go to Dairy Queen. You're going to Crops. So you got to go, you got to go past that and you take the second entrance there. And at the second entrance, there's been a sign, at least since I've been here. Okay, that's been sitting there, and I've been here now four years. It's been sitting there, and what does it say, coming soon? Giants coming soon, right? But we all laugh, right? Because we're all like, I'll believe it when I see it, right? That's why you're laughing, because you're like, There's, when's giant coming? There's no giant coming, right? It's not been here. It's been years. In fact, it's, and this made borderline blasphemy, not me, but, but the person who wrote this. But in fact, it, it said, at one point it said, they've since changed it said, giant coming soon, and then underneath it, someone wrote, and so is Jesus. <laughs> now, 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 again, I think that demonstrates their lack of faith, really, because I believe Jesus could come right now, right? While I'm pre- I wish he would come right now. I, I'm praying that he does. But, but, it, but it shows. It's saying, I'll believe it when I see it. And that's really a good example, because that person, whoever wrote, and Jesus is coming too, they, they don't really believe that Jesus is coming, right? Because they don't really believe that giant's coming. And so sometimes that can be our faith. Certainly those who, who haven't trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, but we as believers can fall into that as well. I'll believe it when I see it. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen but believe. But these, these folks, these people in, in uh, Galilee, these Jews wanted a sign. That's why they gathered. They came looking for the miraculous the unexplainable, the fantastic, and Jesus rebukes them. 
He says, unless you see signs, you won't believe. You, you want signs. You need to have signs. But blessed are those who don't have those signs, who don't see and believe. Instead of asking for signs and wonders, Jesus calls us to seek him, the Christ, the Messiah, the one behind the sign, the one that all the signs are pointing to, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So we find our text here in chapter 4, kind of in the shadow of the woman at the well, right? We all heard that before. How many of us have, I don't raise your hand, but how many of us heard necessarily heard the healing of the nobleman's son? Now, some of us might recall that or maybe would be like, yeah, I guess that sounds familiar. But when I tell you about the woman at the well, everybody, oh, yeah, I've heard that because there's all kinds of preaching on that and people talk about that. We've heard about that before. And we find our passage kind of in the shadow of the woman at the well. And I believe this is on purpose. I believe John did this on purpose. Because when you look at the woman at the well, these Samaritans, these that would be looked down on from the Jews, these who did not have all of the information that the Jews had, they didn't have all the prophets and all of that that came to them. Jesus is showing here, and John is pointing out here, that these, they believed without a sign. There's a great contrast between the Samaritans at Sychar and the Jews in Galilee. And he wants to point that out. And, when, and if you look at um, chapter 4, verse 42, it shows you. So Jesus gets done talking to the woman at the well. She goes into town. She says, come see the one that has told me everything about myself that I've ever seen. And, and um, they say they believed her testimony. So they all come out, right? And we know Jesus says to the disciples, look, the harvest is white, uh, white unto harvest. Well, it's, it, yeah, the harvest is white unto harvest, and I should probably read it because I won't get it wrong. You know, you, you know what I'm trying to say there. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest already. The one who reaps receiving wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. But look at verse 42. This is their response to who Jesus is, not just because he didn't perform any signs or miracles here. In verse 42, he says, They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed, that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They had no signs given to them. They didn't have any miracles done. They had the lady who gave testimony about Jesus saying uh, some things about her life that uh, nobody else could know. But then they came, and they didn't say, we, we, we believe in those signs. Those signs are miraculous. They said, no, we believe he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And then John goes, and then two days later, if you look at your text here, verse 43, after the two days, because he stayed there two days teaching them, no doubt many of them got saved. He departs for Galilee because that's what he was doing. He was leaving Judea. He was up there in, in Judea, in Jerusalem, and he was at the Passover. He flips the table, right? He does all kinds of miracles. And now he's saying, I've got to head. I'm going back to Galilee. I'm going back to my hometown. Galilee was a region. Capernaum and Cana were the towns in this region. He says, I'm going to go back to my hometown. I'm going to preach the gospel of the kingdom to them. And so he heads back down there, gets waylaid in Sychar, and then he comes into Galilee two days later. And he says this, and he understands this, and John inserts this. He says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his, home, in his own hometown. You wonder to yourself, okay, why are you going back there? 
If they're not going to honor you, what in the world would you want to go back there for? And this is why Jesus came, right? He came and to seek and to save that which is lost. And so he was going in there because he knew that there were some that would honor him, that would come to Christ. And so he's coming in and he's, he's fulfilling the purpose that he came for, ultimately to die on the cross for the sins of the world and pay the penalty of our sin. And so he comes, and then verse 43, uh, excuse me, 45 says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now, if you're thinking, if you're with me right now, you should be going, wait a second. He just said that he's not going to be honored here. He doesn't get honored in his own hometown. But then it says they welcomed him. So you should be going, what? there's a problem, right? There's an issue there. But it's not really an issue if you understand how, how John is writing here. And he's using irony. And he's saying, he's saying Jesus said, well, I'm not going to receive honor. And then John says, they welcome him, but that welcome was not the kind of honor, was not the kind of welcome that Jesus was saying it ought to be. They were welcoming him because where was he? He's coming back to Cana, and we're going to find out in just a second. This is where he had changed water into wine, and it's as if they had a big banner, right? Jesus is coming. Jesus is here, the miracle worker, and they're all flooding in because they want to see the miraculous. They want to see the unexplainable. They want to see the the, the, the wonderful miracles that Jesus has done, not because he's the Christ, but because he's the miracle worker. And so that's the way they're welcoming him, and it's no welcome at all. And Jesus rejects that, and he uh, rebukes them for it, and we'll see that in just a moment. Jesus understood that he would not be honored as he came into Galilee. Even though he was welcomed, he knew it was not because he was the Messiah, but because of the signs that he had done. And we see in chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, that Jesus actually knew what was in the heart of man. So while he was in Jerusalem, in chapter 2, he's talking about he's in Jerusalem, and it says that they believed in his name because of the signs that he did. But Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew it was in the heart of man. He didn't need anybody to tell him what was in the heart of man. He knew because he's God. And he understood that their motivation wasn't right. They wanted to see signs. They wanted to have all their needs met. They wanted all their ailments to be healed and their diseases to go away. But they didn't recognize him as the Christ, and that was the issue, and that was the problem. So I want to point out, just kind of bring out four truths here, and four points in, in this um, passage beginning in verse 46 to help us to understand this more and apply it to our own lives. So first of all, I want us to see that this actually was a sincere request from a man, from a dad, who had a need that any one of us would want to have fixed. And so we see in verse 46, um, so, so Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Again, they recognized him. This was his hometown. This, this was his home region. He came into Cana, where he had already performed this miracle. And at Capernaum, which is about 20 miles south down by the, the Sea of Galilee, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then Jesus rebukes him, and it says in verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. This nobleman, uh, most likely he was in the court of uh, Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, who was the, um, the, the tetrarch or the king at the time of Jesus' birth. 
Now, this man, uh, Herod Antipas, he was the Tetrarch, which simply just means that he wasn't king. He was a ruler, and he ruled in that region of Galilee, but he wasn't king. So, so um, this man worked for him, was in his court. So what does that tell us about this nobleman? First of all, that he had the means to have all of the best doctors at that time come to his son and try to relieve him of the fever that he had. So he had the means to bring any doctor and, and probably the best doctors to come and, and, and look at his son and try to heal him. Didn't work. He had all the means to get all of the best medicine, the latest medicine to come and help his son, to heal his son, but nothing worked. So what, is, what do we know about this nobleman now? He's desperate. He's desperate to have his son healed. Who wouldn't be? This is a real request. This is a real need that this man has, and he brings it to Jesus because he's desperate. So the problem wasn't that he didn't have a real need. The problem was that he had a more desperate need than even the desperate need of healing his son. And if he knew who it was he was asking, he would have asked him for living water. But he didn't. He didn't have that spiritual understanding. You know, I have a friend who I um, communicate with regularly, and uh, let's call him uh, John. There's lots of John, so you won't know who it is. So I have a friend. He doesn't live around here. Uh, I met this uh, gentleman. He was a young man, and I, I worked at, at a place where he was at, and he and I began to have a friendship. So to this day, and that was like 20, almost 25 years ago, so, um, but we still have this friendship, and he lives in, uh, far away, but he, he contacts me every day. But this young man, he, he's in his 30s now. He grew up in a Christian home. Uh, he heard the gospel on a regular basis. His mom and dad pointed him to Jesus. He, he, he saw Christ working in, in his own life. And you know what he does? He calls me regularly because, well, I should say that the, he's also homeless. He lives in a place where he can just live in his car and go to work, and he doesn't have a home, and he's got all kinds of desperate, uh, real uh, needs. They're real sincere needs that he has that, you know what he does? He calls me all the time or texts me and says, hey, Joe, will you pray for this? Will you pray for that? Will you pray for this? Because what does he know? He knows that Jesus answers prayer, and he's desperate. And he knows, I can't solve this problem. I need Jesus to solve this problem for me. And so he kind of uses me as a, uh, as a kind of a lucky rabbit's foot. You know, I know, Jesus may not be listening to me, but he'll listen to you, Joe, because you're a pastor, so pray for me. So that, and I can't tell you other people have done that to me as well. But this young man does it on a regular basis. So he trusts, he believes, he has faith that Jesus can answer prayer. But he doesn't believe that Jesus is Lord of his life. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Oh, he might say it, he might talk about that, but, but in his heart, he is not believing that. He does not believe that. And so I'm not saying, hey, don't ask me to pray. I pray for him. And you know what? God, Jesus is compassionate. We're going to see that. He's compassionate. He answers prayer. But this young man is coming and treating Jesus like a cosmic genie in a bottle. He grabs him when he needs him and, and, and rubs the bottle, and Jesus answers the prayer, and then he puts the bottle back up on the shelf and goes his way. David Wells, in his book, No Place for Truth, explains how the pragmatism of the local church has influenced its concept of God. He writes, we've turned to a God we can use rather than a God we must obey. 
We've turned to a God who will fulfill our needs rather than to a God before whom we must surrender our rights. He is a God of our own satisfaction. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to look at ourselves and our own belief, our own walk with Jesus. Am I like the nobleman? Am I like my friend John? Seeking a God I can use, a God who fixes my problems, a God who works for me, and when he does, I just kind of put him back on that shelf, or is he Lord of my life? At every moment, I'm worshiping him, praising him, recognizing him as being the Christ, the Son of God. So this request was a sincere request, but it misses Jesus' purpose of bringing new life, real life, eternal life to people. He had a need with his son, but he had a greater need in his soul. So Jesus takes this opportunity to challenge the entire crowd with a stern rebuke. Let's look back at our passage. In verse 48, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So Jesus takes the opportunity of this man asking him for a sign to rebuke the entire crowd. And when you look at that word you there, it's plural. So Jesus is saying, Jesus said to him, you people. So he's talking to everybody there at the, at, at the, the crowd that was gathered around him at that point in time. And he's saying, you people. Unless you see a sign, all you want is signs, you'll not believe. That's all you want to see. That's all. The only reason you're here is that you, want, you have a need in your life that you want me to meet, but you're not recognizing me as Christ. You're not worshiping me. You're not honoring me as Lord and Savior, as the Messiah. They were believing signs, not the Savior. Jesus was making an, an, imper, an important point about the proper relationship between his signs and true faith. Jesus performed signs so that people would believe in him as Messiah, not as a miracle worker. That's why he performed these signs. Are you surprised at this as well? Are you surprised at his reaction, Jesus' reaction? I was, when I, as I've read it. I mean, I've, I've read it before, but as I read it again, I was surprised at his reaction Be- because of what I know about Jesus, right? He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's loving. And so, Picture it in your head and, 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 and picture it in your own life. If, you're, if, one of, if somebody that you loved was dying, what death was imminent. That's what this is saying. Death is imminent. And he comes to Jesus, and instead of Jesus going, hey, come on, let's go. We're going to go down there. We're gonna, okay, okay, you need to eat. Okay, let's go. I'm with you. Right? I'm, I'm already ahead of you. I'm, I'm running down there. Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus takes this opportunity to, rebe- to rebuke the whole crowd. He says that you just want to see a sign, but there's something more. I, this, there's, there, I'm pointing to something bigger. There's something that transcends, as important as that need is, there's something that's more important. And that's recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. Was Jesus being uncaring, thoughtless, to the burden of the Father that he brought to him? Or was this the most caring compassionate response that Jesus could give. After all, Jesus knew that he could heal this this young boy. Jesus knew that he could raise him from the dead. But Jesus said there's something more 
important. I'm not going to go there, but if you look at um, if you look at Lazarus, we see that it's important that when the absence of Jesus is really important. We're gonna, I'm going to expand upon this in just a moment. But the absence of Jesus is really important in the Bible when he doesn't go somewhere. For instance, when Lazarus dies, you all know the story, right? So Lazarus is sick. They say, Lazarus sick. And what does Jesus do? Does he run right down there? He's his best friend. Does he run right down there? No. He stays at least a couple of days, right? He stays. And why does he do that? Well, we find out that he does that because it was for the benefit of the disciples. He said, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there. That's what Jesus says. Why? So that you'll believe, so that you will believe in me and who I am, not in this miracle that I'm about to do, but in who that I say that I am, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And in believing in me that you'll have life, eternal life. That was the point. Do you believe that even in your suffering, physical, financial, spiritual struggles, God is working out his perfect purpose for his glory? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you know what, there's something that transcends my, my illnesses. There's something that transcends um, my, my financial burdens. There's something that transcends uh, my woes at work, all my problems. And that is this deeper spiritual truth that Jesus is trying to communicate is that he is the Messiah. So, so that when we find ourselves in these positions, right, as believers... As unbelievers, we need to focus on Jesus Christ as our Savior and that I need him in order to have a, a new heart, that I need to be born again. But as believers, we, we see in our trials, in our struggles, in our needs, Jesus wants us to see him, right? And in Matthew chapter 6, he's, he's saying to us, God knows what your needs are. Look at me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. God knows when a sparrow falls in, in, in the woods, when it dies. How much more do you think God cares about you and your needs? And so he's saying, look at me. Look at me. Don't take your eyes off of me. I'm the sign. I'm the one who's giving the sign. And I'm, I'm the one that the sign points to. So focus on me. Can you see past the temporal to the eternal? But he's a kind God. He is a, a loving God. He is a gracious God. He is a compassionate God. And Jesus shows him this by a, a sovereign revelation. Look again in your passage. So this man, he says, come down, come down. And I should make the point, too, that this man is dependent upon this person Jesus, this wonder worker, to be with him, to be by him, right? He wants the wonder worker to come because he's the source of the power, and he thinks, he believes that he needs to be there. So he says, come in this desperate plea. He's pleading over and over again, come. Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. And the man completely ignores what Jesus says, and he says, sir, my baby, my child is dying. He's going to die. And Jesus, in his, his compassion and his love and his mercy for this man, says, go. Your son will be well. And at that moment, 
Jesus heals him. Now, the man doesn't know that, but at that moment, Jesus performs a miracle. He doesn't know this yet, but he believes in the miracle, okay? If you look at that, by healing the nobleman's son, Jesus was not giving in to the pragmatic demands of a father, but rather demonstrating the powerful spiritual reality of who he was and what he came to do. And he does this by two way, in two ways. First of all, he does this, and I already mentioned this, by refusing to go. Jesus demonstrates who he is by saying, I'm not going. You go. Your son's healed, but I'm not going. That would have blown this guy's mind because in the ancient world, again, people connected miracles and wonders with the person who was doing them. So if that person wasn't there, mm, is this really going to happen? But this man believes the word. Let's read it here. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Jesus spoke it and he believed it. But he was not yet believing unto salvation. He was believing in the word, in the miracle that Jesus could, in fact, do this. Kind of like my friend John. I believe Jesus can answer prayer. I'm just not trusting him as my Savior, as the Messiah. I don't see that. I'm blind to that. And unless Jesus removes those blinders, I can't see that. And so he refuses to go. Jesus demonstrates to every one of them the omniscience, the omnipresence, the omnipotence of God. And he's saying, and he's pointing, he's saying, that's me. And then secondly, he shows that uh, the reality of who he was and what he came to do by healing the nobleman's son. Jesus came to bring life. And by rescuing this man's son, John paints the picture of Jesus rescuing us from bringing us from death to life. He's foreshadowing that. He's, he's, he's pointing that out. He's saying, this is what I came to do. I came to make dead people alive. That's what I'm going to do. And he's foreshadowing what he's going to do on the cross. When Jesus goes to the cross and he sacrifices his own self for the sins of the world, he's, he's pointing to that here. He's saying, I'm going to make dead people alive. This is what I'm going to do. Sick people well. This is what I'm going to do. So the eternal Son of God came, became man, came into the world to save those who would believe, to save them from the penalty of their sin, exchanging his righteousness for our unrighteousness. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so by the sovereign revelation, by saying, I'm not going, and by healing this, this nobleman's man completely, he demonstrates who he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the eternal Son of the living God. And so finally, we have a saving recognition. And so we finish this out with a saving recognition. This man, eventually he recognizes who Jesus is. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And he, they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed. And all his household, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judah to Galilee. John shows this man's conversion 
in, in a couple of stages, if you will. But as I was studying, I was looking at John MacArthur's notes, and I saw that John MacArthur had kind of four different levels of unbelieving, right? So, so this man exercised faith, right, didn't he? When he, said, when, he, when, he, when he walked, when he said, hey, Jesus said, go, your son will live. This man exercises a degree of faith in that because what did he do? He didn't say, no, 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 you need to come. You need to come with me. That's not going to work, even though he did command Jesus to come. come. Sir, come. When Jesus said, go, your son will be well, when he spoke to him these words of compassion, this man responded in faith. But again, that faith wasn't saving faith. It was faith in the fact that Jesus could actually do what he said he could do to give him this miracle. But John MacArthur kind of gives these levels of unbelief. And the first one is the lack of exposure. Lack of exposure. So people have unbelief because they're not exposed to Jesus. They just don't know. And an example of this would be um, Andrew and John. When Andrew and John, uh, John the Baptist goes, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? What did James, uh, Andrew and John do? They just follow him. You know, they haven't even heard Jesus preach or anything yet. They haven't talked to him. They haven't had any conversation. They're just like, wow, okay, I'm, this, I'm going. I'm following him. And they follow him. And they tell everybody else about him. And the story goes on. So that, that's one stage kind of, of, of unbelief. And um, that's just exposure. And then there's the lack of information, right? Just don't have enough information. This would be the woman at the well, right? She knew the Messiah was coming. But Jesus adds to that. And what does he say? He says, well, the one you're looking for is me. I'm him. And so he gives her more information, and she believes, right? And then the town believes, right? There's belief that happens because there's more information given. And then there's the lack of evidence. And this is where we find ourselves in this passage. I don't have enough evidence. I know I've, I, I, I have, I know I've been exposed to who the Messiah is. I've I've, uh, I, have, I have information, but I, I, I need evidence. I need to see something. I need to experience something. And this is what we find in this passage. And it's where the rebuke comes from. And, and then finally, there's, the, there's the, um, the, un- the level of unbelief that really is just a hardened heart. I, just don't, I, I know all of these things. I see all, I've, I've had all this evidence, but I'm rejecting that. I'm rejecting that. And, you know, when I look at these, these uh, signs or, or lack of unbelief, I say that probably sometime in my life I've, ha- I've probably had all of those, right? And if we're honest, we, we've all had been in different levels of that. But this is where we find this, this gentleman, this nobleman, right? We find him at a, at a place of lacking uh, something, and that is, for, for here, is evidence. He, he needs to see evidence, and God is good. He gives him that evidence when he's on the road. So he, by faith, and he's believing, okay, you said it, and I'm going to believe, and, and he walks. And I, don't, I wish I could hear what Jesus said. It's kind of like emails and text messages, right? We get them, we're like, oh, I, I don't know the tone of that. <laughs> I'm not sure of the tone of that. And we don't hear Jesus giving these, these words, so we're, we don't really know that tone, but I believe it was a kind and loving and reassuring tone. When Jesus speaks to us, whether we're believing in him as, as, as a savior or not, when, when we hear Jesus' voice, it's comforting. It ought to be comforting. When we hear the words of God, it ought to be comforting. And I believe this man was comforted because he's not frantic anymore. In fact, we find out, and I, I don't have time to get into all the nitty-gritty. I, I, I wish I could, and you guys should. We find out that he actually waits a whole day. Like he doesn't even run back down to find out whether or not his son was well. 
We don't know the reason for that. It could be practical reasons. Maybe he like almost killed his horse coming up to, to meet Jesus. Or maybe, and I, this is what I believe, is that, that he, believing Jesus, he, he found peace there. He found some comfort there. And so Jesus gives him this assurance and, uh, or says that he's going to do this. And so he goes, not knowing, but believing, not ultimately knowing, but believing that this can happen. And along the way, his servants meet him. And they say, your son's well. Now, it doesn't reflect it in the ESV text, but basically he says, your son was healed. Your son's healed. He is well. He is completely well. And that's what Jesus did. And, and I'm sure that the man was excited. But what he wanted to know, and this, is, and this is where we see his belief in just the miracle worker turn into the belief that he's the Christ, right? Because remember, what, what I said was is that, that there's that Jesus showed that he was God by not going, showing that, hey, I can heal even if I'm not there. I can think it. I don't even have to say it, but I'm going to say it for your benefit. I can think it. It's going to happen because I'm God. I'm omnipresent. I'm omniscient. I'm omnipotent. That's who I am. And so he hears that his son was well, and I'm sure he was ecstatic. But the question that he asks was, what was the time? What was the time? And I know, and we know this by reading this, that it's pointing back to it's pointing back to those two truths about who Jesus is. It's pointing back to the fact that Jesus claimed to be God when he gave that sovereign revelation. Go, your, your, your son is well. And it's pointing back to that, and, and, it's, and, he, and, he, and he believes when, they, when the servant says this, the servant says it was at, it was at the seventh hour, and it's, that's one o'clock. And so he understood, and he knew that was the exact time that Jesus said, go, your son is well, and, his, and he believes says he believes, not that the miracle happened now, but that he believes that Jesus Christ is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And not only him believing, but his household believes. And we have to be kind of back in that ancient world to understand the importance of the head of the household. Um, hopefully we, we understand the importance of those who lead our houses here, the influence that we have as dads and as leaders and as moms and as leaders that we have the impact that we have in our house, but it says that his household believed as well because of the fact that Jesus pointed out this is what this sign is about, this whole miracle thing, and that's where the miracle happened when he heard that Jesus, that, that this was the exact time. That's when the miracle happened. That's when he believed that he is the Christ, and we see that there. And he recognizes and believes the words Jesus speaks Previously, the man had known enough about Jesus to regard him as a talented wonder worker, but the sign pointed him beyond that. He plainly saw that the hand of God was in it, and he became a believer. And this shouldn't surprise any of us, right? As I was talking about that, the levels of unbelief and that we've all kind of had those, maybe had those levels. We need more information. You know, before we came to Christ, you know, I need more exposure. I, 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 I want to have evidence of, of that. You know, we all had that. So it shouldn't surprise us that this man exercised a limited amount of faith, a mustard seed of faith in what Jesus was doing, to be curious enough to come to him, to seek him out. But it wasn't saving faith until he recognized Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior. That's when it becomes saving faith. And that shouldn't surprise us, right? I recognize in my own life, I grew up in a religious home. I heard about Jesus. I heard the gospel. I even understood some things. I had information. I had evidence. I had, I had exposure. But it wasn't until I recognized, and I remember sitting in, in, the, 
in the, I, I, I grew up in a, in a large mainline denomination that didn't necessarily preach the gospel at, at all. But I remember sitting in a, in a church just like this, and the preacher was speaking about who Jesus was. And he was talking about our need, my, and I, he was talking to me, my need, because I was a sinner. And my sin separated me from God. And there was nothing that I could do to clean myself, to make myself worthy to be able to, to, to go to heaven. Right? I was incapable. I was totally dead because of sin. And then he said, that's why Jesus died. Jesus died the death that you deserve. And it, I, folks, I'm telling you, a light bulb just went on. I went, that's it. That's it. Jesus died for me. Like, he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He's the only one that can take away sins. He's the only one that can forgive me. Because he went to the cross. He was totally obedient. He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And at that moment, I was saved. I believed. Now, he's been working things out of me ever since, right? But, but at, the point is, is that at that moment, I was saved. I had faith before. I believed Jesus could answer prayer. My mom always told me, oh, you, you, you lost that, your wallet? Pray Jesus. He'll help you find, you know, this kind of thing we did, right? The lucky rabbits put the genie in the bottle. But when I recognized him as Lord and Savior, everything changed. Everything changed because he was no longer that genie in the bottle. He was Lord God Almighty, the eternal Son of God who gave his life for, for me and for you that we would be saved that was the point of this message, and he didn't want anyone to miss it. And I don't want you to miss it this morning. The nobleman no longer sees Jesus as a means of meeting his needs alone. He sees him as the Messiah, to be worshipped and glorified, worthy of all our praise. John declared that he wrote this gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. How do you see Christ this morning, folks? Is he the eternal son of God? Or is he the cosmic genie we only pay attention to when we have a need that we can't meet ourselves? This sign shows us the person of Christ, who by his command, by his very word, brings life from death safety from danger, healing from disease, salvation from lostness. This is our Jesus in whom we believe. Instead of asking him for a sign, Jesus calls us to seek him as our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you recognize we are but dust that we need you. Lord, we find ourselves in all levels of, of unbelief and all levels of faith this morning. Some of us, Lord, may be lacking the faith to, um, to believe in you, to know that you truly are the Son of God. And Lord, we've never, we've never come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to be rescued from the penalty of our sin. Lord, I pray today for that soul that needs Jesus, that has has found their lives wanting. They have great needs, all kinds of other different needs, but Lord, I pray that you would help them to look beyond the temporal things of this world to the eternal, 
that they would see their eternal need to have their sins forgiven and that they would recognize that Jesus, who is the Christ, is the Son of God, came and died for their sin, that he, he might exchange his righteousness for their unrighteousness, the righteous one for the unrighteous, that they would believe in him and who he is and what he has done and be saved. And Lord, for those of us who, who do believe, we have saving faith. You are the Messiah, Lord. We need reminding. Lord, so many times we put you on a shelf. We only take you down. We have needs. Other than that, Lord, we, we confess that we live out life in our own strength, thinking, thinking, Lord, that, that we can do something, thinking that we can live life apart from you as Christ, as Lord of our life. So, Lord, I pray today that we would repent of that, that we would turn to you, that you and you alone would be God and we'd put away all these idols that we continue to worship, Lord, that we would worship you, the eternal Son of God. Lord, that you would be glorified in our lives and the life of this church. We love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your compassion, love, and mercy for us. In Jesus' name.